Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Okay, we're in the midst of, uh, of a series of sermons that's called Life Happens, Own Up, Own It. That in northern Kentucky simple English means that when you mess up, you fess up. And uh, that isn't always easy. It's according usually to the gravity of, if it's a sin, it would be the gravity of the sin that we've committed. And there's another issue that has to be factored in in the Christian context. And the more that God has blessed, if you're in a, in a position where God has been especially gracious and merciful and, and has really blessed your life, then more is expected of you. The scripture says it this way, to whom much is given, much is required. And so there's, uh, we're going to run into probably... My guess is it's the best known uh, story of a grievous sin by a, a man who has been greatly blessed. And um, it's about David and Bathsheba. When you read the text here in the second Samuel, in the 12th chapter, when you read that text, God actually says to him, I want to show you, in case you've forgotten, how much I have blessed your life. Now, the background of the story is this. David, king over Israel. Now, you need to know that, and I just found this out this week. You need to know that David never referred to himself as a king. Because you remember when Israel got a king, it, it was the uh, same as saying to God, who was their king, we want somebody with skin on to be our king. God granted that in the person of, of Saul. But the, the deal was they're trading Saul in for the true and the living God. That's a bad trade. So David realized that the only king that Israel had, really, was God himself. And so he referred to himself as a prince. He never called himself the king. Always. And I didn't catch this because it isn't revealed in the English text. And we were talking about it in sermon discussion. And, when, and it, it's embarrassing when your kid points out to you something that you don't know. And he said, because hey, I'm not proficient at all in Hebrew. And, and he's had Hebrew, and, and uh, I, I haven't. I've, I've studied in, in Greek. And it isn't revealed just in the Greek text. And so he pointed that out. And then he goes and gets this commentary and hands to me. He says, well, there it is. There it is. They never get too old a slap, but it's illegal. And then, but anyhow, it was interesting to learn something like that. And, and so David, here he is, and, and, and he, for some reason or other, late in the evening, 
goes up, gets out of, he's probably already gone to bed, gets up, goes up and, and is meandering around. And he happens to see on the rooftop a lady taking a bath. Now, the assumption that a lot of men have made is that she was up there nude. There isn't anything in Scripture that says that. That's just the way men think. If she was taking a shower, she stripped down to advertise. But that isn't the story here at all. Because um, what you don't realize is in those cultures and in places in ours, people don't know what a shower. I never had a shower until I went to high school until I went to school and started playing basketball. We didn't have anything at home. We had a, a bathtub, and in the wintertime, you learn to turn pretty quick to keep both sides warm because you put it up next to an old warm morning stove, and that's the way you took a bath. My wife, came. she came from a privileged place, and, and her daddy was a plumber, and they had all that kind of stuff, and so she came to visit us. And I think she went home stinking because she wasn't getting in that tub and she wasn't going to do all that stuff. I don't think she even went to the bathroom for three days because we didn't have indoor plumbing. And my mother said to her, uh, let's go out and count the stars. And she thought mother was crazy. You know. Well, we won't go any further into that. But let me tell you, because uh, I'm already in trouble. But uh, when, when Eddie and Patrick came to visit and stay with us from Uganda, they had never been in a shower because they take a, a bath like probably Bathsheba was. Now, she may have been stripped down to the waist. That could be because that's common. You see women in many developing countries uh, nude from their waist up because they nurse their children so on and so forth nobody thinks much about it in new in in new guinea when we were visiting there two or three times uh, the men didn't have anything on either they were just running around butt naked it's a different existence so eddie and patrick show up at my house and they're used to having a pan of water probably like Bathsheba, taking your hands in the water and you take a shower like by flipping the water on you. And so they'd never, and so I got them in their, in their bathroom, stripped down naked, opened the shower curtain, got the water, said, oh, get it in there where it feels comfortable. And he was doing it this way, you know. I said, get in there. Patrick, Eddie says, Patrick always does, does the testing. So he pushed him in, you know. Took his, now after, now you can't get him out. You know, the whole, the whole thing changes, but they'd never had a shower. That's totally different. And so we assume because of all the goodies that we have that everybody's like that. And it isn't true. There, what it was said about this woman taking a bath up there late in the evening before going to bed was she was beautiful. It didn't say she was nude. It said she was beautiful. One of the interesting questions when we were talking about this at home is Patrick said, Pastor, I wonder how close they were to one he how close they was for him to see, you know. I said, Patrick, when you see a good looking woman with not many clothes on, your eyes improve. You know. So it's not that it's not that hard to imagine. But there's a lot of imagination that goes on with this story. But the fact of the matter is, David then sent for he's the most powerful man alive in that part of there. He was rich, he was famous, he'd been supremely blessed by God. So he brought her over, fully realizing she belonged to somebody else. Uriah the Hittite was one of his good soldiers. 
And um, so they slept together. She became pregnant. She let him know. And so he then, with his generals, arranged for Uriah, her husband, to be put in the midst of the battle so the Ammonites would kill him. And it happened that way. Now, David was an educated man, and he knew the law of God. He knew the Old Testament. The Bible says that he, he, took, he kept it before him all the time. He knew what God required. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul speaks about David in, in this way. In the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, when Paul is talking about the history of Israel, how Israel has been blessed and how they dropped the ball and, and God started the church and so on, in, in that discussion, he refers to David this way. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, isn't it interesting that a man after God's own heart who had been supremely blessed committed such a grievous sin in what he did there with taking another man's wife, having that man killed, he broke at least four of the Ten Commandments. I mean, he was on a roll when it came to sin. And, uh, and so what we, we have here is something that uh, a lot of churches, that had been a church, would have kicked him out. in spite of what followed. Well, the story goes this way. And by the way, those four that we know of, we know according to, and if you want to look this up, the Ten Commandments are found two places in the Old Testament. Fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, 20th chapter of the, of the book of Exodus. And here's what happened. When Moses was given the law, he said, you should not commit murder. Now, King James says, thou shall not kill. That, that's not a good translation. It's, it's meaning murder with forethought and, and something you did on purpose. You don't commit murder. He committed murder. Second thing, thou shall not commit adultery. You, obviously he did. She was impregnated and had a baby boy. Don't steal. Don't steal another man's wife. Don't steal his ox. Don't steal his donkey. Don't steal. Thou shalt not steal. And, and you see, and we'll show you how he stole in just a minute. And the other one is don't covet. You should not covet another man's this another man, and another man's wife. Now, here's this guy, David, supremely blessed. Let me read to you how blessed he was by God. But before I do that, let me put the ending of the story here. Okay, Bathsheba is impregnated, has a baby boy. The baby boy was sick. Sick unto death. And so the baby, and David then, for the sake of the baby, puts on sackcloth and ashes gets on his face on the ground praying that God would spare the baby boy. It didn't happen. The baby died. And this is a tragedy more ways than one. In our culture, it's tragic when a baby dies, but it's worse with the circumstances in this one. Because the baby died when he was seven days old. 
Now you say, well, what's that got to do with it? In that culture, a baby was not named, a baby boy was not named until he was circumcised. He was circumcised on, his, on the eighth day. The baby died without a name. If it had been a tombstone out there, it would have said, no name. So we have, and, and then after the baby died, David gets up, takes a bath, puts on regular clothes. His, the, the guys around him are just saying, you know, what's going on here? You, you know, when the baby was sick, you were down carrying on, and the baby's dead. Now you're getting up. And, and David said something that, we, we, that many of us remember. He said, look, the baby is dead. He cannot come back to me, but I can go to be with him when I die. We, we, that's one of the things that we remember from the story. Now then, I want to show you how blessed this guy was. You remember when David, there was a preacher there. My kind of preacher. His name was Nathan. He was a prophet or a preacher. Same difference. The word profetuo means to proclaim or to preach. And Nathan comes to David and he says, David, he didn't say that. He said, King, let me tell you a story. There was this guy who had hundreds of sheep. Had a neighbor who just had one little ewe. For those of you raised in town, that's a female sheep. And the rich guy takes the one ewe from the other guy, and David just had a fit. He said... In my kingdom, the guy should have to repay it four times back. He, he, he spells it out here. Uh, and and, and, and he, it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then the preacher... God loved this kind of preacher. Stuck his finger up David's nose about that far and said, David, you're the guy that did it when you took Bathsheba from Uriah. Insert something here. Forget about David for a minute. You need to breathe her. I've had two weddings in the last couple of weeks where I, that's why I was gone. One of them was in... Indiana, one was local. And here's what happens now. They call you to do the wedding, and it says on the little official card, the officiant, the guy who's officiating is Scott Rawlings, Pastor Scott Rawlings. Okay. So I show up, and here come the women. God save me from women at a wedding. Here they come. And they say to me, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to say our own vows. And I said, when hell has refrigeration, you ain't going to say anything until I tell you what to say and when to say it. Because it says on the little piece of paper, I'm officiating. And the officiator, the officiator has the whistle. And he calls the game. 
you ain't telling me what to say. You're going to stand up there. You're going to tell each other how, all a bunch of this mushy nonsense. And I'm going to tell you you're going to hell on a skateboard if you don't be faithful one another till you die. Now, which is more important? We want to tell each other. Well, I said at the, re at the reception, you just spill all that stuff on each other all you want to. But up here, you're standing before God, and you ain't telling me what to say. I'm going to tell you what you're committed to and what's going to happen to you if you don't do it. It gets so quiet. Because they ain't used to that. They want to tell you what you're supposed to do. Hey, go to seminary. You can have at it. But until you do, if I'm the efficient, if I'm officiating, this is the way it's going to be done. I got more mothers who hate me but they'll just have to live with that. Okay, that's what I wanted to insert because I want you to know if you ask me to do it, that's going to happen. Okay. Say amen, Katie. Yeah, that's right, that worked. <laughs> she didn't do that. <laughs> okay. Now then, back to David. Let's look at this story in the 12th chapter. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul, who was the king you replaced. I gave you your master's house and your, ma and your, your master's wives into your arms. So he inherited a harem of women. This guy's got women running out his ears. All of whom are available to him to sleep with. They're a part of his harem. I got a one harem woman, you know. And she says, it's going to stay that way, buddy. I don't have much to say about it. And he kept on talking and he said, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, both northern and southern kingdom, were united under David. And if all of this had been too little, I'd have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what's evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites by putting him in the midst of the battle where he could kill. So God reminds him. Now here's, here's an, uh, 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 the irony of this whole thing. He's the most blessed man in Israel. He's the man who keeps the law of the Lord before him day and night. He's the guy that Paul describes in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart. And he's committed this kind of a sin. And the wages of sin is... But God did something that I don't understand here. He actually says to David, I don't, I don't get this. I know what it says, but I don't really get that. He said... This is in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. In another instance, he said, and, and, and against him only have I sinned. I didn't agree with that. I thought he sinned against other people too. But anyway, that's what he said. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You ever notice that? How did he do that? Jesus hadn't died on the cross. God said, I've moved, I've set aside, and you're not going to die. Now, here's what I think. This is an opinion. I can't prove this. I ran it by some people who know more than I did, and, and they didn't know any more than I did, so we just, you're just going to have to take this. 
Is it right? I don't go out and say it's right. I don't know. Here's my opinion. If you, let's say uh, that someone like William here, because uh, he's never been married, so I can pick on him, shoots his wife. And he goes down and, and he goes to court. Here's the charge. And, but what they, and they found out in there that his wife was hitting him over the head with a skillet and, you know, was cutting his toenails to the quick and doing all kinds of things that's really bad. And, and so, uh, but the, the jury says, in spite of all of that, he's guilty of a crime that deserves death. And the, the jury of 12 come back, they read their, and they, they, he's guilty, and then they say, and here's what we recommend as a sentence. Go down, to, you know, like going down to the esplanade, hang him there until his feet quit kicking. Now here's what the judge can do. The judge can set aside that verdict. He can actually set aside the verdict and say, here's the way it's going to be done. He's going to say, that woman was beating this poor man to death, and we're going to let him pay because he owns all of Lucasville. We're going to let him pay a couple hundred thousand dollars and let him go. God, who is, after all, all-powerful and all-knowing, it appears to me, set aside the verdict of the wages of sin is death to the person. Because you see, both David and Bathsheba, by committing adultery, earned the death sentence. They were both to be stoned to death. So, God says, that's not going to happen. But there are other consequences, and we'll get to those in just a minute. But the baby is going to die. Now, Let's go, if you got your little cheat sheet in front of you there, follow me as we go to number two. Be sure this, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. In King James terminology here, it just says they'll be revealed. Your sins will come out. What you've done will come out, either in this life or the one to come. That's the reason in 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul told the people in Thessalonica, avoid all kinds of evil because you will be held accountable. And then we have this situation here. And, and it's actually in the text, if you read the 12th chapter. Here's what he says. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will have this thing in broad light before all of Israel. Because all, almost all grievous sins begin in secret. Almost all of them. You see, David's sin wasn't looking at a beautiful woman and saying, that's a beautiful woman. There's no sin in that at all. Alice Kay and I have been married for 900 years, and you know, if we're going down the street and I see some gal with a classy chassis, I'll punch her in the ribs and say, you look at yonder. And she'll say, uh-huh. With about that. And if there's some good-looking hunk goes down, she'll punch me in and say, look at that hunk. I say, where? <laughs> I, I thought she was looking at me, you know. I, 
Anyway, anyway, that goes on, and we have fun with it because there's nothing wrong with looking. The, my mother used to say, and the old-timers used to say this when it comes to sin. They said, you know, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building the nest in your hair. You see, the bird flying over your head means it's temptation. Giving him a residence in your hair is something you've agreed to, and that becomes sin. Now, all of this is spelled out in the New Testament. You see, David's, David's sin, of, uh, David wasn't sinning when he looked at a woman and said, Man, is she pretty. The sin came when he kept on looking. That's the problem. Not on, and so in his mind, he began conceiving of, How do I get her in my bed? And this was all done in the secret of his head. And when you go into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle James, goes into, I think, really, he makes this clear of how sin works among us. And we've all been there. We've all done it. Every man that, you know, that has any red corpuscles in his system has seen some good-looking woman and allowed his mind to go to the Holiday Inn or the no-tail motel and allowed all of this stuff to go on in his mind. And, and, and if, he, if he says, I've never done that, then don't do any business with him because if he'll lie, he'll steal. Men, you're awfully quiet for some reason. But that's the way it works. Women, I, I, I don't understand women, so I can't speak for you, but I got a sneaking suspicion it's even worse. I got a sneaking suspicion that you had the capacity to ma manipulate men and make it look like it was their idea all the time, but I can't prove that. Now, here's what James says. Here's how he says it works, and we've all been there, and we've all done it. He says this, When tempted... This is in the first chapter, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. See, within each one of us, there is a selfish seed that wants to be satisfied. It is there in each one of us. I want to prove I'm a real man. I want everybody to see I got a classy chassis. The girls, you know. That's an evil thing that's within us all. Now, to deny that is denying the Word of God. Because here's what he goes ahead and says. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The bird flying over the head is temptation. The bird building a nest in your hair is sin. Looking at a good-looking woman at a handsome hunk is temptation. Letting your mind go to the no-tell motel is sin. And after sin, it gives birth, sin when it is full grown or when it's been committed, gives birth to death because the wages of sin 
is death. The rest of it we'll add later. Now, so here's what we have. We have the most blessed man on the face of the earth, knowing who gave him the blessings, committing a grievous sin. Now, let's go to three and, get, and, and let's get some hope here. And that's this. Obviously, when God said to David, I'm setting your sin, I'm setting the verdict of your sin aside, and you're not going to die, neither did Bathsheba. In fact, he took her as a wife, and she gave birth to a son, another son. His name was Solomon, who became the third prince or king over Israel. But that wasn't really his name. He had another name. Does anybody know what his other name was? Other than you people I've already told. No cheating. What was Solomon's other name? Anybody know? Didn't think so. Because you haven't read it. Or you'd know. You said, whoa, I didn't know that. That's your homework. See if you can find it. Yeah. It'll remind you of the Beverly Hillbillies. That's the only hint I'm going to give you. Okay? Now, here's what happened. David's sin that he committed, the penalty of his death was set aside, but the consequences of his sin remained. Get that in your head. Because the Old Testament warns us, when someone sins against the living God, especially those who have been blessed, here's what happens. Here's the way it is. We can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, but the consequences of our sin is passed on to the second, third, and fourth generation. They don't go away. And they ain't easy. Here's what he says. It's going to happen. All of these wives that you've got here, you committed adultery in the secret, but your wives are going to be raped in broad daylight by someone that's very close to you. You know who that was? It was Absalom, his only son. He had a son who must have been one good-looking dude. I look in the mirror at times and I think, Absalom, where are you? <laughs> no. Nah. But he was handsome. He, had, he was a hippie. He had long hair. Ultimately, they got tangled up in a tree and, and uh, David's generals killed him. Because he led, he led a successful revolt against David, chased David out of his capital in Jerusalem, and then he took over and, and raped all of his, his fathers uh, with his soldiers and himself. <laughs> raped all of the, 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 the harem. A part of the consequences. We already know that a baby died without a name. We also know that 
He said, your household, as a result of what you've done, is going to be filled with calamity. Three of his sons were killed. Three of David's sons were, were killed. He lived the rest of his life with the consequences of the sin that he should never have committed. Let me tell you something, folks. When we commit sin, even in secret, God finds it out and there will be a penalty to pay. Now, okay, time out. I need to insert something here that's very important. Well, in just, I'll get to it in just a second. Let's go on then uh, to number four. Confession is part of repentance. David owned up to what he had done wrong. But that didn't change the consequences. He owned up and said, I, when, when that old preacher put his finger up his nose and said, David, you're the man, David said, I've sinned against God. And in sackcloth and ashes, repented of his sin, begging for the life of the child. He confessed his sin. Now let's talk about confession for a minute. He confessed here in verse 4, he confessed that, you know, he had sinned against God. Whenever we sin, we've got to do that too. We've got to take our sins before God. But there's an addition to that. James says in James 5, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. And I got a clip if I have time that I can show you the value of, of confessing. But let me, here's where the time out comes. Folks, be awfully careful who you confess your sin to. Be really, really careful. Our rule here is anything that is said within the, in your office... If you're a, an employee here, and if it's said in confidence, must remain in confidence, and if you reveal that confidence, your, your job is imperiled. They have to have the confidence that they can share whatever it is. And I've heard things that would curl your hair. But one of the dumb things that happens is this. Here's a guy that has committed adultery with some good-looking young thing at work. After about five years, his wife knows nothing about it. After about five years, the guilt he's bearing is such that he finally goes home and he dumps it all out on his wife who is totally unaware. The guy needs to be castrated for that. He has... He should have died with that sin in his heart without ever having burdened that poor woman down and made her suffer knowing that she's been betrayed and now she's going to have to suffer through all of this and not know what to do and their marriage will never be the same. Listen, if you're a he or a she and you've committed adultery, and your spouse doesn't know it. You can tell me if you want to, and it, then at my age, I'll forget in about three hours anyway. But please don't go dumping on your spouse and ruin her life too. Live with what you own up, accept the fact that you did it, and don't burden her down with it. Amen? 
women help me out here. I've had this to happen even with staff guys. Even with other preachers. I've had come in and tell me. I told my wife and she wants to leave. I said, she ought to shoot you and then leave. Because you've magnified your sin by really hurting someone else. That's another sin. And, the, and in David's case, you see, the, the, the higher the profile when you make those kind of decisions, the more people you hurt. And hurting people out of a selfish motive is sin, folks. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And that's the, awful, that's the worst kind of hurt that you could ever put on her. But be very careful when you confess who you confess it to. Did you remember the old story you probably have? But I got time to tell it, so I'm going to do it. Of the three guys who were fishing together, they weren't catching anything. And they finally just sat there and they said, and they were all three fairly new Christians. And one of the guys said, you know, there's nobody around but us. I need to tell you this, kind of get it off my chest. The lady that was my secretary, that pretty young thing, she and I had an affair for, you know, two or three years. My wife doesn't know it. Another guy said, you know, I worked for the bank all these years, and, and I was able to pilfer, skim off several thousand dollars, and they still don't know it. Never did catch me. Another guy said, I have struggled all of my life with gossip, and I can't wait to get out of this boat and go back home. <laughs> Be careful who you confess to. Be careful. It has to be someone. And, and the Catholic Church has actually made a doctrine out of confession. A couple of ladies who were Catholics went to Israel with me one year, and we were, it was communion time on a Sunday, and, and I said, you, you girls are perfectly welcome to join us. And they said, no, we can't do that because we can't take communion until after confession. I said, well, here I am. Bring it on. I'll put my collar on backwards. I don't care, you know. Well, I, nothing happened. I struck out there. But anyway, the Catholic Church has made that a part of their, their church system. Uh, it just happens that there's a movie on now on television, The Godfather. And in The Godfather, the guy who, who succeeds the original Godfather, the young man, actually is responsible for killing his own brother and taking over, so on. There's a little clip. Guys, you, if you want to play this for a minute, then we'll close. Sometimes the desire to confess is overwhelming, and we must seize the moment. What is the point of confessing if I don't repent? I hear you are a practical man. What have you got to lose? Huh?
my son. I betrayed myself. I killed men. And I ordered men to be killed. Go on, my son. Go on. Go on, my son. Thank you. I ordered the death of my brother. He injured me. I killed my mother's son. I killed my father's son. Confession is good for the soul. But be careful who you confess to. David wrote about his sin in the 51st Psalm as follows. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. He never forgot it. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely your desire, you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here's the beauty of being a Christian. In spite of the gravity of your sin, your Holy Spirit will not leave you. He may chastise you. He may bug you. But he'll not leave you nor forsake you. Your hope of heaven isn't gone. But your hope of the happiness that you could have may be. Sin has terrible consequences. Avoid it, it if you possibly can. I'm through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you understand us better than anybody else. And when we come before you with a broken and contrite heart, it's good to know that we have your forgiveness. And oh God, teach us to forgive each other with the same type of forgiveness that we receive from you. 
withhold judgment and give encouragement when people really mess up. Help us to bear each other's burdens, Father, and thus fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. Bless this gathering of people, we pray, Father, that you will bless them to the extent that other people will see joy and victory in their lives in spite of any sin that we might have committed and want to be like us. Help us to be light in a world of darkness. In a world of criticism and condemnation, help us be known as a people of forgiveness and love. Dismiss us now, Father, with a sense of your abiding presence. And thank you for the promise never to leave us nor forsake us. We ask you to accept our prayer in Jesus' name. And all people said, Amen. Amen. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.